Strange things are growing in our movies, TV shows, and books. There are so many weird and wonderful plants in the stories you know and love, but are they based in science or fiction? In each episode, we dive into the botany hidden in our favorite stories. We find out what's real and what's fantasy with help from the experts here at the Chicago Botanic Garden. I'm Jasmine. And I'm Erica. And this is Botanical Mystery Tour. When you've exhaustively consumed the Harry Potter books and movies like we have, you start to notice how important magical plants are to the story. Hermione's knowledge of Devil's Snare is key to getting the Sorcerer's Stone. Mandrakes helped revive victims when the Chamber of Secrets was opened. And who turns out to be the bravest Gryffindor of them all? Neville Longbottom, loyal friend and skilled herbologist. Today, we're talking with garden scientist Amy Eiler to find out which plants are complete inventions from J.K. Rowling's imagination and which actually exist in the muggle world. So I have a very important question that I think um, we need to answer before we get into this podcast episode. Um, what is your Hogwarts house? Um, I'm in Ravenclaw. Okay. All right, Ravenclaw. <laughs> Wait, me too. That's There's two. Both of you are very close. Yes. What, what's your house, Erica? I'm a Hufflepuff. Hey, you know what? Hufflepuff is a great house. I'm a nice person. It's, and, yeah. you know, we know where all the food is. <laughs> I mean, Cedric Diggory, one of the champions in the Goblet of Fire book. Triwizard Tournament. I mean, Hero. Yeah, that's yeah, Thank you for validating. J.K. Rowling is, says that she's a Hufflepuff. Um, but more specifically, Hufflepuff is the house of herbology. That's very true. And that's what we're here to talk about today. Exactly. So uh, let's get started talking about the magical plants of Harry Potter and their real-life counterparts. Great. (laughs) So where do we want to start? Well, I think the the main question that we want to answer today really is, are there plants in real life that have magical properties or, or have, you know, similarities that you might think that they are magical plants from Harry Potter. Yeah, so the one that first came to mind when you approached me about doing this podcast um, was Wolfsbane, or also known as um, Monk's Hood. Mm -hmm. And um, it comes up in potions class early on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's used in um, potions to help Professor Lupin um, control his werewolf transformations. Mm -hmm. So... um, that one came to mind because there is an actual plant called wolfsbane in real okay. life. <laughs> um, so I, what's that plant like? Yeah, it's um, it's actually one of my favorite plants, too. Um, what I, where I do my research in Colorado in the Rocky Mountains, um, it flowers there in July. And it has these really deep, dark purple flowers. Um, kind of looks like a hood. This is where the, the monk's hood common name comes from. Oh, it's also called. It's also called monk's hood. hood. So okay. a lot of plants have, yeah, many common names. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you so also that, use it to control your werewolf uh, disease? Well, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> um, we are in a basement recording this right now, so there, <laughs> there's no way that we can test this for the if there's a moon. Thankfully, out. Not I a might have moon. brewed a potion with it before, but I used you it don't myself. know what's in your water bottle right now. Yeah. Right? <laughs> So but I'm, it was used in it was used um, or it got the name because um, people used to use it back in the 1800s to poison 
mam- like large mammals, like carnivores, like wolves. They would put it in raw meat and bait them as a way to kill them because it's super, super poisonous. Oh, okay. So yeah. is it something if you have around pets, you should probably keep it away from them? Definitely, yeah. And don't eat it yourself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just There's um, researchers at the field station where I work sometimes – work on it or collect nectar from it for various reasons. And people are kind of superstitious about it. Like, make sure you wash your hands after mm. you touch the nectar. So, uh, yeah, I've heard, of, I've heard of Wolfsbane and, like, a bunch of other stories related to w- werewolves. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in the Harry Potter series, she, like, you know, borrows from different, like, myths and legends and stuff. But then these are all based – I mean, you go back and back and back, and they're all based on real plants too. So, like, yeah. Wolfsbane is something that, like, there's always been, like, a weird aura – around it mm-hmm. but it's because it's actually toxic in real life and it can actually hurt you yeah totally it makes sense as a i mean yeah i think it has a whatever history of you know being related to werewolves and keeping werewolves away so makes yeah. sense she would use it yeah. yeah so the first time that wolfsbane is mentioned in the books is before we even know about werewolves in harry potter like True. lupin isn't, right. isn't introduced until a later book mm-hmm. and the first book is in the potions class with Professor Snape. Mm-hmm. And, what, you know, what was the context there that they were talking about it? Do they, I think they if I remember, I think it was maybe, I think it was just a, a, like showing what Hogwarts is like and, oh, this is potions class and this is Professor Snape and kind of setting the stage. Just like setting up what potions is all about. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then little do you know, then a couple that of it comes months later, back. it's super important. Yeah. So are there um so that's this is the first one that you that you thought of because right. it's a toxic plant. Are there other plants that they mention that are toxic in real life, but they're used for potions or in, you know, some other way in Harry Potter? Um there the one that comes to mind is maybe Dittany. Um it's not it's toxic in a super weird way. So <laughs> what I love about plants and magic is that some plants you would think um, that it it is science fiction, but it's actually real. So like, <laughs> there's this, the real Dittany is also mm-hmm. it's a real plant. It has healing properties in Harry Potter. Um, but in real life, it causes a reaction on your skin if you touch it. It makes your skin super sensitive to UV light, and you can get oh, super what? bad sunburns. Yeah, and like it's, it's the opposite of suntan. Yes, sun- it's or the sunblock, opposite or of sunblock. <laughs> and a lot of plants are like that. And it's a super weird thing that <laughs> is it like something in the like oils on the leaves or like what yeah, it, what it's is something the, in the leaves? What should we avoid? When we I don't get know the name contact. of the compound, but it causes your skin to react to UV light. Yeah, weird. I know. Yeah. And how is it used in Harry Potter? In Harry Potter, um, it's used when Ron is apparating and he gets splinched. Ooh, ow, yeah, I remember that. We need we might need some more context for that. I don't know yeah. how familiar people are with Harry Potter, but yeah, so when I, I think it's when they're escaping the ministry in the Deathly Hallows. Yes. And, and they operate and they operate to the woods. Yeah. To the woods, yeah. And right. um so so splinching like, happens when part of your self gets left behind or gets damaged in the apparition process. Yeah. So he has a bit, really bad cut on his arm. Or like yeah. part of his skin is missing. Right. Yeah. Is it like one of those things that they're doing magic that's above the level of like that they're ready for and he's trying to do it? Is this correct? Um, I think they've passed their apparition test by then. Okay. Um, But I think he was maybe happened because he was trying to – they were escaping and it happened really fast and they all 
Just wasn't properly. Just wasn't, yeah. So they were new, new at operating still. Okay. So maybe just. It's like we're trying to get down to the bottom of why Ron was <laughs> why splinched. Why was Ron splinched? <laughs> <laughs> but Hermione whips out some Dittany, essence of Dittany from her handy bag where she has a bunch of stuff stored and pours it on the wound and it heals instantly. So in real so life. In real life, Dittany, I don't know of anything. <laughs> Dittany is not good. It's Dittany not good for is your not skin. great for your skin in real life. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I wonder what the connection there, like why she might have chosen that plant. Yeah. It's the idea that it, like, it does something to your skin. Oh, maybe. Yeah. And maybe UV, UV rays heal your skin I don't, when you are splinched. <laughs> yeah, or who None knows where ideas are. It's logical really. to me. Yeah. It's really. <laughs> where ideas sense. come from. I mean, she might have just heard of the plant before and it was mm. like, it sounded oh, nice. It sounded nice. And. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I'm wondering. Know. I don't like, know how much research. You know, we should have her on the did. podcast. We should have her, her on. I wish she was here. Yeah, <laughs> ask her. every day I, I wish J.K. Rowling <laughs> pretty was much in my life. Um, so I'm wondering if like the same thing with Wolfsbane that there has always been this like, you know, from the past these herbs were considered having these magical properties. So she like found that and she just gave them new stories, gave right. them new uses. But they've always been kind of strange. They do weird things. So let's put them in the story and make them be essential to, like, moving the plot forward. Yeah. I can see that. They have an aura about them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some of the other ones she uses that do, um, I think, well, let's see. Rue is a real plant. Um, Yes. And Rue is also in Hunger Games, not to cross, like, pop culture. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But there is, like, a the name of Maybe that's another episode we do. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, and mandrakes also have healing powers. Mandrakes, oh, that's, that's yeah, amazing. Mandrakes. mandrakes, yeah. Because <laughs> that was that was in the first book, and that was like yeah, one of the more visceral herbology classes that I can remember from watching the movies too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. So tell us about the real mandrakes. Well, I don't think there's a real mandrake, unfortunately. <sighs> yeah, <laughs> no screaming plants. There is, but not in the sense that. That's a plant. If you pull it out of the ground, it mm-hmm. makes such a ear-splitting scream that you need to wear earmuffs or you'll pass out. <laughs> um, but there is a mandrake root that has been used to treat, I think, stomach ulcers. Okay. Um, and other stomach ailments. Mm-hmm. And I think it um, it looks sort of human-like, supposedly, like, like the root, root when you pull it out. Like yeah, like a, okay. root, a root person. <laughs> They're they're really creepy. I remember, like you know, I've you read the book, and you picture it in your head, and yeah, then you see it yeah. in the movie, and you're like, "Oh, that is worse than I imagined." Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Very creepy looking. I agree. And you were reading just earlier a little bit about the folklore story behind mandrakes. Yeah. So I was <laughs> I was doing a little research on mandrakes, and um, so in Harry Potter, if you hear the scream, you might pass out. So they put the head the headphones <laughs> earmuffs. <laughs> And in class, we have headphones, so they don't hear the scream. And I guess this was like a superstition that they would scream when you pulled the mandrake out. Mm-hmm. Um, so people would attach, like, um, a like by a by a rope or something, a dog when they pulled it out. And I'm guessing so the dogs would like guard them from the scream. I, I thought it was the weirdest thing that like you need your dog nearby while you're doing your gardening. While you're removing, <laughs> some maybe plants. the mandrakes are at such a high frequency that only the dog yes, can. The dog, like a dog whistle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So you just make your dog angry when you pull them into This sounds really bad. It sounds mean to dogs. Yeah. I mean, come on. But this is like, it sounds like Middle Ages. Like, this is a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So mandrakes. 
real plant, they don't actually scream. Indeed. <laughs> so, Indeed. two of my Case favorite. Case Yeah. <laughs> plants with mouths, though. I mean, you've already had an episode on carnivorous plants. We did talk about carnivorous so, plants. Yeah. That's another maybe parallel we could draw, but it's a, it's a stretch. <laughs> it's a stretch. <laughs> they do look slightly different. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did want to ask you about a plant that's associated with um, two of my favorite characters in the book, which is the Weasley Twins. Um, so they have their little joke business, joke shop business. Mm-hmm. And one of the plants that they use is sneezeweed. Oh, yeah. It yeah. seems so mm-hmm. like obviously called like, yeah, you know what it does. But yeah. sne- so sneezeweed, is that a real plant? It is. It's a common name for a several different actual species of sunflowers. Oh, um, sunflowers. Sunflowers. Okay. Yep. People think that if they, you know, sniff it, it'll make them sneeze. Well, it might if you really got your nose down in there. <laughs> you sneeze. <laughs> um, your face in the sunflower and you will have allergies. you'll have allergies. That, and, that, that checks out, I think. Yeah. Don't put your face in plants. Don't put allergies. your face in plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it, it leads to an interesting uh, misconception, though, that the plants that make us sneeze typically are wind-pollinated, like grasses and trees. Okay. And mm-hmm. not pollinated by animals that are, like, moving oh. the pollen around in a much more targeted way. That's so that pollen isn't really going to be in the air making you sneeze yeah. that much. So a lot of the plants like sunflowers get blamed for allergies when it's really not not them. Hmm. Unless yeah. you have it in a joke thing. Unless that you have a face. packet of it to cause a sneezing <laughs> fit that you bought at a wizarding joke shop. Yeah. As, As you, you do. do. As you- <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> uh. So yeah. it's so it's so I'm sorry, I'm gonna go back to sneeze weed just a minute ago, just one more time. So the sneeze weed, that's what you call it? Like it's a common name for it's it? It's a common name. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. There's one in um Colorado where I work. Um it's pyracoma is the common name. Okay. Or the sorry, the scientific name. And then there's like Virginia sneeze weed, I think is more well known. Sneeze weed from these Virginia. Parts. Yeah. Okay. And they, they look similar. It's a sunflower. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned you work in Colorado. Can you talk a little bit about um you know, your research trips over there? Oh, sure. Yeah. So <laughs> um, I work at a field station in the Colorado Rocky Mountains, um, which is basically like a summer camp for field biologists, I like to call it. <laughs> um, where we, we all go, people from all across the country, um, different institutions go there to do the research. Um, there's a lot of climate change research that goes on there, understanding the effects of climate change. Um, that's what a lot of my work does for um, – plant flowering times and for plants and pollinators, trying to understand how climate change is going to affect them. And um, the great thing about uh, the Rocky Mountain Biological Lab where I work is that there's been a lot of study for a lot of years. And so we can really draw on this like rich history of um, a lot of good, great background knowledge and long-term data sets to ask important questions like that. Are there ways that you use your love for herbology and Harry Potter (laughs) in your work? Um, you know, I, I really tried to think about that and not really. (laughs) It's, um, it's a nice relaxation. (laughs) We're not thinking about science. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So take us back to when you first, did you first, uh, read the books? So I first was introduced to the movie, um, when it was in the theaters, Okay, so that it came was your out, first introduction to Harry yeah, Potter? Yeah, I was my first year of college. I'll oh. just date myself. Um, 
uh, my mom said, there's a movie I think you would like. So we went and saw it. I think it was Thanksgiving break. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> Thanks, mom. So, yeah, it was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I read the books right after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember reading the first two over winter break. Mm-hmm. Then I became one of those people who went at midnight to buy the books. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I actually got into Harry Potter in college, too. So yeah, we are both probably the same age. Nice. So that was around <laughs> when the movies were starting to come out, too. So I was like, oh, I should read the book. Yeah. When herbology was first introduced, were you were you already interested in plants and ecology at that point, and were you kind of like identifying with that in the movies? Or good question, yeah. Um, at the time, I would say I was just starting to get in- more interested in plants. So um, I really got into plants the summer after my junior year of college when I got a job as a park naturalist. So I was more of an animal person, but I needed to know a lot more about the plants to be Mm -hmm. a good naturalist (laughs) for my visitors. Um, And so a friend took me on lots of hikes and taught me a lot of the plants. And I feel like once I started to be able to recognize them, I could really appreciate how amazing and fascinating they were. Um, I I was suffering from what a term that's become more popular, plant blindness, Mm. I think. So this idea that you just don't notice the plants around you or it's all just one big green blur and you can't, you know, it's whatever. They're just plants. Mm. They're they're there. Um, And so once I I was able to start telling them apart more and knowing their names, I really got more interested in them. And then eyes were opened. My eyes were opened. Yeah. Yeah. So then I was able to appreciate them more and the herbology lessons more for sure yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do. especially in the later books when they get to like yeah. newt level you get some really crazy plants <laughs> i do like how they make at the beginning they try to like she kind of introduces herbology as like oh the this kid neville he's just so clumsy and silly and he likes herbology yeah, the nerds like and this. then she build, right right and then she builds it up to be like actually it's super important and neville is awesome right the end yeah mm-hmm. they will save your lives yeah quite yeah. Literally, yeah, literally. Yeah. There's a there are just I mean, we can't even do like a succinct episode going through all the times that like a potion or a plant has has helped out in the in the series to like save a character's life or like, you know, help them defeat the Death Eaters or whatever. Right. You know, that just there's so many times. Um and then the like knowing that they're all kind of related to real plants is interesting. Definitely. Um, so the, I'm going going to go back since we're talking about the end of the series, now the beginning of the series. Um, Devil's Snare is one of the plants that's important oh, at the yeah. end of the first book. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the, oh no, yeah, yeah, when they're going to try to find the Sorcerer's Stone. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's one of the first things that they encounter. They get stuck in the Devil's Snare. Yeah, Professor Sprout's con- contribution. Yes, Protecting exactly. stone. Yeah, yeah. So is that, what, what's the real life parallel there? Yeah, devil snare. Uh, that's an interesting one because the more they move, the more it strangles them. Yeah. It kills them faster. Um, and then Hermione, I think, is able to relax and get away from the devil snare. Mm-hmm. Um, but Ron and Harry are stuck, and she has to remember that it doesn't, it doesn't like the sun or fire. And so she could – I actually forget what exactly she did. But she made a fire or did Lumos or something yeah. and, made, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. made it release them. Um, so – and that way, um, it's it's not like most plants because most plants like the sun, as you know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> most plants need it um, to make food. Um, but there are a group of plants that don't, you might say, oh, in a poetic sense, to quote, don't like the sun, like parasitic plants that mm. steal nutrients from other plants. So they don't have chlorophyll. 
and they look super weird. Have Have you ever seen one? No, they're well, white. Just, just in the movie, but that's not the real one. <laughs> is that the real yeah, one? Yeah. yeah. What is the, does the real one? The kind real of ones look are like that or no? It's just no. It's white. They're tight. They're much smaller usually. Okay. Um, they're little things. Human size, right? <laughs> yeah. Oftentimes they're small. Mistletoe is a parasite plant, actually. Really, oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, I didn't know that. Random fact. Um, it's it's a plant that only partially it doesn't totally rely on a host for its food, but it just deals like part gets part of its nutrients it resources. Takes the romance out of it, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it kind of does. Sorry to ruin <laughs> But there are plants that actually have no chlorophyll and steal all of their carbon and nutrients from other plants. Mm. Um, so they're kind of cool. They have specialized root structures that that can bore into the stems or the roots or whatever part of a plant that they are their host they're trying to get into. Um, what are some other ones like somebody would recognize? Um, the, one of the most widespread ones are like the Orobanchi family. Okay. You know, like uh, broom rapes is the common name. Oh, yeah. That's a horrible word. I know. <laughs> it sounds like a creepy plant. <laughs> yeah. I don't well, know seriously. why, honestly. Yeah. I guess Ooh. parasitic plant, creepy name goes together. <laughs> creepy name. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of some other one. Yeah, mistletoe would be the one that most people would recognize. And it, it's in the um, – I used to live in the Sonoran Desert, and it's everywhere on growing on, like, acacias and – Really? Palo Verde trees. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. so we were talking about how it doesn't like the sun. But in the desert, right. it's getting a lot of sun. Well, yeah, my link was a little tenuous. It was okay. like, you know, it doesn't it doesn't need sun to produce food. Like most plants love sun. So okay. Like, like the devil snare doesn't just like whatever. It's <laughs> really there. need the sun. It's there. And the devil snare is found in really dark environments. Maybe that's the, why the devil grow. snare in Harry Potter is so huge because it's underground. It's and underground. No sun. <laughs> so it's super happy and it's growing like crazy. Yeah. So, like, a devil snare can move, obviously, fast enough to, like, strangle a human. Yeah. Try to suffocate them. Um, some other ones that they encounter, these are in the later books in herbology class, the venomous tentacula. Yep. Which is has a, a great name. Has a great name. But is that a real plant? No. Oh, dang. No. Remind me about that one. It's, like, it's got um, vines, I think, that with thorns, and mm-hmm. they can just attack you. And, um, what, and what are they doing the with story it? story does it, yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you want to pause and look it It just up? has vines that move. I don't okay. know, like, what they're doing with it in class. One last plant that I want to ask you about because yeah. it's, it's important in one of the books. Um, so in the Goblet of Fire, um, the uh, – Oh, Gillyweed? Yeah. Yeah, but I was going to set it up more. Than oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. I was <laughs> trying to remember the, the the name for when they go on the, like, not quests. when they do Oh, the, the Triwizard Tournament? So in the Triwizard um, Tournament, they have different challenges, challenges that they have to do. Yeah. And I think it's the second one where they have to go underwater, and there's the mermaids or the merpeople. And um, Harry gets a little help from the gillyweed. Other people use different from things. Neville. He's Yeah, from Neville. Neville helps him out, his herbology buddy. Um and I thought it was interesting that, like, he was the only one that figured that one out. And it seemed to have been the one that was the most, this is my opinion, the most, like, useful. Like, yeah, the other ones yeah. were very, like, temporary. Um, I mean, Gillyweed was temporary, too. Like, Yeah, like, the other ones were, like, a bubble around their head. Yeah, that and seemed very, like, you It could, seemed like there's a lot of resistance for, like, swimming yeah. with a bubble around your head. And it was, like, e- easy to, easy to, like, what's the word? 
it's easy to like get rid of, like someone could attack him and it could, you know, oh. that he's underwater and he has no way to breathe. Like Harry's mm-hmm. was the one that seemed the most like practical for the, right. for the challenge. Right. Mm-hmm. So gillyweed. Gillyweed. Real life. Any, is there any connection with, I mean, not, no plant's going to make you grow gills. No. <laughs> right? Unfortunately. Right? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but plant, no. some plants help you breathe better, like, right? Um. Like oh, like menthol they, or yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, eucalyptus mm-hmm. when we're not feeling so well or yeah, people put it in. Oh, what are those called? Humidifiers. Yeah, yeah. Like you rub a balm on your chest to help you breathe. Yeah, the whole like essential oils craze is right. It's Thank all you. botanically based. It's all botanically based. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but but gillyweed sadly is not. Gilly does not have a real life counter. A wonderful product of um, <laughs> J.K. Rowling's imagination. <laughs> I think she's secretly a botanist. That's what I've concluded. She's got to yeah. have some like gardening, like background or like love of it that she she got yeah. in there because it's just so it's so important to the stories and you just see like the affection she has for characters like Neville, mm-hmm. that yeah. like making him into herbology and then he's the future professor of herbology. Mm-hmm. She loves plants just as much as we do. I think. I think so, too. (laughs) Awesome. So there you have it. The magical plants of Harry Potter are largely fictional, as far as us muggles know. And maybe we should give those Hufflepuffs a bit more respect for their herbology knowledge. Thanks for listening. Botanical Mystery Tour is produced by the Chicago Botanic Garden. You can find us at botanicalmysterytour.com or on your favorite podcast apps. And if you're in the Chicago area, come and visit the garden. You can find out more about everything happening at the garden and what's currently in bloom at www.chicagobotanic.org. So that's it. Thanks again for listening. I'm Jasmine. And I'm Erica. And thank you for coming with us on a Botanical Mystery Tour. Botanical Mystery Tour is produced by the Chicago Botanic Garden. Any reference to specific pop culture media does not constitute or imply an endorsement by the Chicago Botanic Garden. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily state or reflect those of the Chicago Botanic Garden. Thank you.